Okay, this is the Amateur Hour Season 1, Episode 2. Take 1. Here we go. Welcome, everybody, to the second episode of The Amateur Hour, starring me, your host, Dr. Bradley. Again, the amateur doctor, the uncredentialed doctor, the unlicensed doctor, but a doctor of common sense, ready to talk to you about some of the most important issues going on in the world today, helping you to think critically, helping you to... Uh, what are we talking Okay. Let's try again. Here we go. All right, welcome everybody to the second episode of The Amateur Hour, starring me, your host, Dr. Bradley, the unlicensed, uncredentialed doctor of common sense. Uh, welcome everybody. If you watched the first episode, thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to the second episode. And uh, this week we're going to do something a little bit different. Last week we did, uh, we talked about the issues we talked about a lot of the principles that rested at the bottom of those issues. Today, we are going to try something unique, and that is we are going to discuss a concept, a broader idea, i.e. one of those principles, and then we are going to look around and... Ah, stop trying to script this thing. still filming we're still recording all right welcome everybody to the second episode of the amateur hour starring me your host dr bradley and that fan needs to be on because this is some of this smoke all right okay sounding we're sounding good all right all right here we go welcome everybody to the second episode of the amateur hour starring me your host dr bradley the unlicensed uncredentialed doctor of common sense today this week, we are going to do something a little bit different. Last week, we discussed a lot of issues. We got down to the bottom of a lot of things, discussed a lot of principles. To this week, this week, however, we are going to start with one of those principles, one of the fundamental core ideas that this week, we are going to start 
rather than start with the news, we are going to start with a broader philosophical idea, a broader hard to start this off. Right now. Amateur Hour, Episode 2, Take 2. Here we go. All right, welcome everybody to the second episode of The Amateur Hour, starring me, your host, the one, the only, Dr. Bradley, the unlicensed, uncredentialed doctor of common sense. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. This week, we are going to start the show off a little bit differently than we did last week. Last week, we started with a bunch of different news stories and then got to the bottom of those news stories. This week, we are going to start with a bigger idea. We're going to start with a concept, and then we're going to take that concept, explore it, and then tie it to what is going on in the world. So we start off with a fundamental understanding of what we're going to talk about, and then look at the world through that lens, see what's happening in the world through that lens, and have some fun. So if you were following on Instagram, you know that we started off this week with a poll and I let you, the viewer, decide what we are going to talk about this week. I presented two concepts, one of which was accountability, the other was language in politics. And it was close. It was very, very close. I even voted, I won't tell you what I voted for, but uh, accountability ended up barely edging out language in politics. But the good news is that these two ideas are fairly closely linked, and although we're going to talk about accountability today, next week, if you voted for language and politics, we are going to talk about that. And actually, accountability is a perfect place to start, because if we have a better understanding of accountability, when we get to the idea of language and politics and controlling language, and the idea that language can help shape or manipulate the world, or you and your mind, all of that stuff, if we have a better understanding of accountability, then we can really understand what is happening, who is using language to control us, who is using language to try and steer narratives, shape the world, all that stuff. So, but today we are going to dive into accountability, and as always, attempt to have a little bit of fun, go through some memes and uh, some clips, all that good stuff. So before we dive into the news stories of what's going on, what's, what's before we dive into the news stories and what's going on in the world of accountability, we need to define what we mean by accountability. And this may be one of those moments when you're like, well, Brad, I know what accountability means. Dr. Bradley, everybody knows what accountability means. It's obvious. It's self-evident. But is it really? 
When you mean accountability, what do you mean? Do you mean just owning up to what you say? Is it admitting to what you've done? In order to really understand accountability, especially when it comes to the government, um, you know, the media, experts, all of those people who have or attempt to influence our lives, our thoughts, all that stuff, if we really want to hold them truly accountable, then we have to understand what we mean by accountable. Otherwise, we have no idea if we're actually holding them accountable, if they are acting unaccountable, etc. So accountability in the way that we're going to talk about it, in the way that truly matters, especially when it comes to the government, is the willingness to accept responsibility and account for one's actions. What do we mean by account for one's actions? Again, that doesn't simply mean or could simply mean owning up to it, admitting that you were wrong. That's part of being accountable. But especially when it comes to government, media, it's really important to say that when we hold people accountable, that there is an actual corrective mechanism in place, that there is action that follows someone perhaps admitting that they were wrong or a court finding someone guilty. You know, it's one thing for a murderer to be found guilty, but that doesn't hold the murderer accountable until there is action that follows, that matches an injustice that was done, an error that was made, etc. So then... Now that we've figured out what we mean by accountability, we need to ask ourselves the questions. There's, a, there's several questions that we need to ask ourselves. And one of them, the best place to start, is where do we have accountability? Or where is it lacking? I can tell you right now, no one wanted to talk about this conversation because we have an abundance of accountability in the world. We have so much accountability, it's coming out of our ears. No, we were, people wanted to talk about accountability because there is a severe drought and lacking of accountability, specifically in the public sector, specifically in government, whether it's federal, state, sometimes local. Uh, we have a tremendous lack of accountability in our national media. We have a tremendous lack of accountability in people who claim to be experts, um, and it is a severe problem. Where do we left off with experts? If there's a lacking in credibility, where is it lacking precisely? Now, if you think about the federal government, I would say that the, and this is not controversial, it, it may sound absolutely absurd, but it is far from controversial. The majority, the overwhelming majority 
of people in the federal government, whether they are direct employees or contracted out or subcontracted, whatever it may be, are unelected. They have zero accountability to you and me, the voters. They have a marginal amount of accountability to their direct superiors, their bosses that are all entrenched uh, in the federal government. There are about 2 million federal employees. That does not even account for the contracted, subcontracted uh, employees uh, of other companies that, that are hired to do government work. This is just people that directly work for the federal government. Out of those 2 million, I can think of about 537 of them that are elected. You have your House of Representatives, you have the U.S. Senate, and you have the President and Vice President. And I would argue that all of those are highly unaccountable for the most part. So that leaves... 1.9999 whatever million bureaucrats, um, secretaries of cabinets, people who are not elected, Supreme Court, unelected. Um, you have a lot of people who are appointed. You have a lot of people who are nominated and confirmed. And they can get fired. They can get uh, you know dismissed by the president or have them you know, tender letters of resignation, those sorts of things. You can even have Congress kind of hold these people accountable, but they do not report to you and me. They are largely unaccountable. And it's not just pencil pushers at like the IRS or the Social Security Service. These are people who are federal regulators who are effectively lawmakers and make law without the input of us, the voters. A lot of their regulations are not deliberated um, or reported, and they affect a lot of the things we do. And this is something that Congress used to do once upon a time. Congress used to be the deliberative body that would create law, and only them. But uh, the 20th century, with brand new bureaucracies like the IRS, like the Social Security Administration, the Department of Education, the EPA, the ATF, the FBI, yada, 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 all of these um, institutions have people in charge that can effectively create policies that act as law and do not go through any sort of deliberative process that this country was supposed to be founded upon. You know, a lot of people like to complain that the judicial branch can legislate from the bench, but you don't hear much in terms of how federal regulators at the EPA can create environmental law and call it a regulation and tell you what type of fuel you can use, uh, what type of catalytic converters you can have in your car, uh, et 
you can collect rainwater, if the puddle in your yard is really a wet body and therefore is under federal territory and, you know, you can't build a shed in your backyard because you have a, a, a puddle that um, they consider wetlands. That's not open deliberative. Uh, that's not an open process that this country was supposed to be about. The chambers of Congress, both houses, were supposed to be these deliberative bodies where open and lively debate were to occur and laws were only to be passed after they had gone through this kind of deliberative process and figured, you know, the best versions of, of how to solve problems were presented and voted upon openly. And you don't see that in the federal government. And this has led from basically ever since, I it's really gotten out of hand ever since uh, World War II and the Great Depression, where you have things like the New Deal and entirely new uh, administrative bureaucracies being formed that are only, uh, that are basically extensions of the executive branch. You know, the people in the e EPA, the IRS, um, they, don't, they don't report to Congress. They are an extension of the president and the vice president, the executive branch. And this is where you get into where we are now. If you want to take a look at, at COVID, we talked a lot about COVID last week. Well, how did we get to a point where what happened policy-wise was possible? How did we come to the point where we could have someone like Fauci, Dr. Fauci, a bureaucrat, all of a sudden be an effective policymaker simply by providing advice to, you know, whether it was President Trump or President Biden, he was effectively a policymaker. No one elected him. The president could have, President Trump could have dismissed him at any point. If you don't like Fauci, I certainly don't like Fauci. Um, you know, if you think if you think Fauci was honest about COVID and, and knew everything that was going on about COVID, and you thought he was sitting there in a lab and he had his lab coat on and he was checking out all these variants and he was, you're kidding yourself. He's a bureaucrat. He's been a bureaucrat for decades, and he's a policymaker. In the end, he's the guy that effectively um, had had vaccine mandates, mass mandates put in place, and it, you know, adopted by governors, mayors, what have you. And nobody in this country, nobody in this country, voted for him. Not one single voter. Um, and and that's where you are, where you have these. He doesn't answer to anybody but the president. Doesn't matter how much you like him or hate him, he doesn't care about you. He claims to care about you, but all of these unelected people do not care about you. They've never met you. Why the fuck should they care about you? Do you think it's possible for even the president, who is voted into office, or your governor, do you think they care about you? They don't know you. They've never met you. How could they possibly care, really, truly care about you and your family? 
They can't. You're an abstraction. That's all. That's the best they can do. Even if they wanted to care, which they don't, but if they wanted to, if they were true angels on earth that wanted to care for you and do the best that they could for you and your family, it's just not possible. It is absolutely impossible. Um, so that's where you get people like Fauci and the director of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky. And so largely what we've got is we've got a point, we've gotten to a point where we've absolutely So how did we get here? How did we even get to a point where we have entire, just Leviathan-type institutions, bureaucracies, administrations, bureaus filled with these two million unelected people? How did we even get here? The country certainly did not start this way. So where did it all go wrong? If you think it went wrong, who knows? You may you may love me. Oh man, I just cannot I cannot wait till we get uh, you know another TSA type of institute. I I love bureaucracy. If you're one of those people, um, I don't know. I guess seek help or something. <laughs> I really don't know what to tell you. Um, but yeah, how did we get here? I will tell you right now. We got here through the progressive movement. We got here through advancements in technology in the 20th century. And we got here through our love of convenience. Now, not to go too deep into the weeds on what the progressive movement is and, and the history of all of that, but the progressive movement essentially started in the late 19th century, really hit the scene in the early 20th century and during the height of the Industrial Revolution, America started to see itself as far more powerful and capable of doing a ton of different things. And it's not just making cars and you know, setting up electrical grids and, and connecting the entire country by rail and, and those sorts of things. It was the government, people inside the government and uh, activists really saw this as an opportunity to use government as a force for good in the world. And the idea is that if a government has the capacity, has the power to do good, then it has an obligation to do good. This is a huge, huge departure from how this country was founded and everything uh, that people believed up until this point in the late 19th century. Prior to that, government was simply viewed as, at least on the federal level, as a way to safeguard against tyranny, against evil, against human nature, or the, the, 
level inside of human nature. And all of a sudden, with this newfound kind of technological power, there was the ability to change that and to potentially, as a lot of people saw it, solve a lot of the world's problems, whether it's hunger, disease, um, you know, poverty. All of those things now seemed like solvable problems, whereas once they were just considered an, a, an they were once considered an unavoidable aspect of human existence. So as the world increasingly became more complex and technology grew and the ability to do more increased and the demand for that increased, it was really, really easy, especially during the Great Depression, especially during World War II and all of these emergencies. We've talked about emergencies before, and, and governments love to have emergencies because it's always an excuse to do more, to spend more, to assume more power, and not always with the idea that they're going to trample on your rights, but that oftentimes is, is a result or a, a consequence. And... That's what happened in the Great Depression and World War II, is you had a lot of emergencies, and you had the need to quickly act. And in order to act quickly, deliberation, the traditional routes of creating policy and legislation and passing laws, uh, seemed insufficient. And so you started to come up and create these bureaus and... All, all kind of in the New Deal that were able to act a little bit more autocratically and independently outside of the legislature. And that might seem well and good when things are going well. And for a long time, you could argue that they did to the point where they continued to grow and we continued to expand uh, from you know, simple New Deal uh, programs to instituting programs like the Great Society, which was just an abject failure and set um, equality, economic prosperity of African Americans and probably destroyed more African American families than a lot of people care to admit. But programs like the Great Society like the Environmental Protection Agency, like the Department of Education, have all made the areas that they were supposed to tend to and fix and all the problems they were supposed to solve, I would say worse. I mean, if you want to think about it from a simple uh, – if you want to think about this – in a simple results-oriented way, why do we still have these departments? Why? I mean, the, the EPA has existed for 50 years. Why do we still need them? Why haven't they solved that problem? And sure, there's been emergent technologies and things have changed, but if they were so good and so necessary and capable 
why haven't they solved environmental problems? If the Department of Education is run by such good people, why is American education such garbage? Why is the public education system absolute trash? Why, if we have entire systems dedicated to welfare, uh, food stamps, helping people get back on their feet, etc., uh, why haven't we solved poverty? Why haven't we solved inequality? Why haven't we solved a disease? It's because they can't. Okay, we're going to start over. All right. We have a... stuff in here too. Amateur hour episode two, take three. Welcome, everybody, to the second episode of The Amateur Hour, starring me, your host, Dr. Bradley, the unlicensed, uncredentialed doctor of common sense. I want to say welcome and thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys so much for checking out the show last week. This week, we are going to do something a little bit different. Last week, we dove straight into the news, then got underneath it all, started examining all the principles and the deeper concepts underneath those issues. Today, we're going to start with those issues. We're going to start with a broader concept, and we are going to then, after looking at that concept, really exploring it, tie it to the current events going on. And if you are on Instagram, you follow me on Instagram at, at Dr. Bradley, D-R-B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. If you follow me on Instagram, we did a poll. And I gave you two choices. And just like Elon Musk, I will abide by the results of this poll. And the two concepts I presented you with were accountability and language in politics. And it was very, very close. I even voted. I won't tell you how I voted, but I voted. And although it was very, very close, it was, I think, 45% to 55%. It might have been a little closer than that. I'll post it up here. Maybe it's over there. Yep, right there by the, the blue curtains. Um, accountability eked out the win. So fear not, though. If you voted for language and politics, which is extremely important, it's actually a really fascinating subject, 
Uh, we are going to talk about that next week. But accountability is actually a really great place to start if you are interested in the idea of language and politics and the ability to control the language in order to shape either the political landscape, the cultural landscape, the societal, socioeconomic landscape, uh, manipulate people into behaving the way that you want them to behave. The power that is rested in language uh, is better talked about once we actually talk about accountability. And, well, why do people want to talk about accountability? Is it because we have an abundance of accountability? Are we just, is it just, are we flooded with it? Is it coming out of our ears? No. It is severely lacking, especially in the public sector, in government, particularly at the federal level, but also at the state level, a little less so at the local level where people can have more direct control. People actually see their representatives, uh, you know, from the city council. They can go to town hall and, and have face-to-face uh, -face time with the people that are elected by them and are supposed to represent them. There's a little bit more accountability there. But the higher up you go, the further you are removed from the people that you elect to office, the less accountability there is right now. And it's been trending that way for at almost we're coming up on almost 100 years. So before we dive into the drought of accountability, the absolute lack of it in our federal government, it is really important to define what we mean by accountability. And it may seem entirely self-evident to you. It's one of those words where you hear it and you're like, yeah, yeah, accountability, accountability. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's politicians are so unaccountable. Uh-huh. But what do we mean by that? And if we really want to evaluate it, if we really want to take back uh, our power as, as citizens and hold people truly accountable in the public sector for the jobs that they do or don't do or the errors that they make, sometimes the crimes they commit, if we want to hold them accountable, we have to know what we mean when we want to hold them accountable. We have to, we have to define what accountability actually means. And the best way that I can phrase it is that uh, it is a willingness to accept responsibility or to account for one's, one's actions. And that's how you and I should be in the world. We should always strive for accountability. We should own up to our mistakes. We should uh, make adjustments in our life when we err, you know, when we transgress, whatever it may be. Um, but you don't see that in politics. And you cannot certainly expect willingness for politicians, bureaucrats, what have you, to account for themselves, to take responsibility, accept responsibility for their words or deeds. So if they won't do it, then it's on us to do it for them and make them accountable, hold them accountable. And...
and that's that's really what this boils down to is being able to hold people responsible and that's what this really boils down to is holding people responsible but what do we mean by holding people responsible does that simply mean you have to admit when you were wrong that's certainly part of it we can't you can't get very far uh, with accountability if people can't at least admit that they were wrong in the public sector especially but simply admitting you're you're wrong is is pretty hollow a lot of the times particularly in government being truly accountable means correcting your actions in some way, atoning for your actions in some way. It requires action. So you can't just say, yep, I made a mistake. You don't put a murderer on trial, find him guilty, and then let the murderer simply say, yep, my bad, I did it, and then that's the end of it. There has to be action that follows that. He has to go to prison and or be executed whatever it may be, there has to be something action-wise that's tied to an admission of guilt or error, etc. Now, when we talk about the drought in accountability, let's talk about how big that drought is, how absolutely devastating the lack of accountability is in our federal government. To start, we'll, we'll start with the federal government because – we're not going to go through uh, every state one by one, all 50 of them, and then do you know Puerto Rico and whatever. We're not doing that. But if you think about the federal government, can you guess how many people are elected versus unelected? I'll give you a moment to think about that. Okay, time's up. First of all, we have two million federal employees. And that doesn't even account for the people that are contracted, subcontracted, etc. That's just 2 million federal employees directly employed by the government. Out of those 2 million, 2 million employees, I've only been able to think of 537 of them that are accountable to you and I, the voters. That's your House of Representatives, that's your U.S. Senate, and the President and Vice President. Those are the only people voted by us to assume offices of power in the federal government. The remaining 1.999 5 million, we don't vote for them. They're appointed, they're hired, uh, they're nominated and confirmed by the Senate, but we don't have a say in who goes to the Supreme Court. We don't have a say who's the head of the CDC. We don't have a say in Dr. Fauci being the head of the NIH. We don't get a say in who's the who's running the Department of Education or who's the Secretary of State or who's running the IRS. 
or who's running the EPA or who's, I mean, name it. We don't get we don't get a say. What's worse still is that the people we put in power largely don't get a say. So you may vote for your representative, your senator. A lot of times those guys have little say in who is appointed to what unless there is a Senate confirmation hearing. But it's once they're in, I mean, they're in. And the odds that they will be held accountable uh, after that moment, it's, it, it just drops off the face of the earth, more or less. I mean, you have to do something really egregious or have a party really concerned with holding a particular person uh, who has failed his duties, you know. I mean, Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg, whatever, he's been an absolute disaster heading up the Department of Transportation, but, I mean, he seems to be on vacation every single time there's a transportation crisis, whether it's, uh, you know, shipping delays and the supply chain crisis or it's, you know, Southwest Airlines and all the other airlines, you know, getting shut down and canceling a bajillion flights and stranding passengers all over the country. He's off on vacation or he's, uh, you know, taking paternity leave. And is he still the head of the Department of Transport? No, he's still there. I mean, could you imagine that in the private sector? Private sector, dude, have been gone. First crisis hits, you're on vacation, you don't come back, you don't solve the problem. You're gone. But in government, it doesn't work that way. And that's a huge problem. So you've got people like Buttigieg, Buttig, Buttig, whatever, Butterball. Um, you've got Pete Buttigieg. You've got Dr. Fauci. People who can create policy, people who can control your life, um, and... They weren't elected. They don't know you. They don't care about you. Even if they claim to care about you, they, they don't care about you. How could they? They've never, ever met you. And even if they had the capacity to care for you, even if these were angels sent from God, put on earth to care for you, they're humans. They don't know you. They can't. How can they possibly care about you, your family, your interests, um, you are an abstraction to them. You are a statistic, a number. You're, you know, a census report. And the big problem is you have not just people like Fauci and Buttigieg and blah, blah, blah. You have tons and tons of people like him. These two million people in the federal government, they're not just pencil pushers at the IRS, you know, trying to conduct audits. And they're not people trying to process your Social Security payment these are federal regulators. These are people who effectively create law without Congress, without any sort of open deliberation. Uh, it does not get voted down by anybody that you put in office. These people create regulations, but they are effectively laws. If you want to talk about some awesome examples, let's look at the EPA, where you have unelected people telling you that you can't collect rainwater 
You have people at the EPA who decide, you know what, it rained a little hard on your property and there's this really big puddle. And that's not really a puddle, actually. Your backyard is now a wetland and you can't build that shed that you wanted to build on it. That stuff happens. It's real. And people who whose job it is to simply work at these departments and come up with regulations because that's their job and you got to justify your job to keep your job, they're going to come up with stuff like this. And they come up with stuff like this and not in your interest, in their own interest, in the interest of their department, not in the interest of the American people, the American citizen. And we are at a point now, especially after having lived through the last three years where these unaccountable people finally need to be held accountable because whether you think that people like Fauci or anyone at the CDC or anybody that came up with COVID policy, whether you like it or not, whether you think they were malicious or they were trying to act benevolently and they were truly compassionate, there is no way you can look at the past three years and think, by God, they got it right. They, they did it. They did everything right. They were right about COVID every step of the way. Uh, and thank God. I mean, you take a really objective look at what has happened the past three years. Everything from the economy shutting down, locking people up in their homes, being wrong about the lethality of the virus, uh, being wrong about uh, the effectiveness and safety of vaccines, being wrong. I mean, I don't know how many studies need to come out to show you how ridiculous it is to wear a mask hoping to prevent catching a disease when we've had surgical masks for nearly a century and tons of evidence to show that it's really something you wear when you want to prevent yourself from expelling droplets or, you know, if you're a doctor or a surgeon from letting something from your body get into your patient's body if you're doing surgery, um, they've been wrong every single step of the way for the past three years. And it's all because no one was held accountable. It's happened because it was not possible for us to hold any of these people accountable. We didn't get to vote to put Fauci in. We did not have the power to remove him. And I'm not suggesting that we should have that power necessarily, but there is no mechanism for correction when these people who are not elected make mistakes, are wrong, time in and time out. They just get to sit in power. They get to keep their job. They get to keep earning hundreds of thousands of dollars of your money every single year. And they keep getting on news shows. When they retire, they get to be, you know, charge speaking fees. And they get to go to Harvard or where the hell ever, the World Economic Forum, wherever. And they charge inordinate amounts of money just to talk. 
about how good of a job they think they're doing and how amazing they are. And they get wealthier while you and I have to continue living our lives in the wake of the policy disasters that a lot of these people have created. And obviously I just highlighted the, the, the negative consequences of unaccountability. But how did we get here? How did we get to a point where we have people like Fauci effectively running the country from a medical standpoint for over two years? And it's really simple. It's, 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 it's a, a result, a direct result of our advancements in the world technologically. It's a result of things like the Great Depression and any emergency that you can think of where the government can step in or has felt the need to step in and say this is a problem that we can solve. We've got a chance. We've got the power to do some good. So hold on. Let me do that for you. And and sadly, Congress has typically authorized those expansions of powers. Uh, when you think about the EPA and all these uh, administrations and these bureaus, they are not under the, the control of they are not under the control. They are not under the control of the legislature. Congress does not have the ability to hold these people accountable. They directly report to the executive branch. These are extensions of the presidency. And and it's that that's where this all. That's where this all started. And you could argue that that's kind of a good thing. Maybe we needed it. Maybe there were so many emergencies or areas of um, maybe there were lots of. And you could argue that at one point, a lot of these agencies and administrations and bureaus were necessary. But and you could certainly argue that there was a point in time where a lot of these agencies and administrations and bureaus were absolutely necessary, and you could even argue for a while it was fine. Uh, you know, maybe Congress just didn't have time to sit there and debate about what's to be done about uh, whether or not people should, could, ought to collect rainwater or if a puddle is really a wetland. Congress has bigger fish to fry, they could argue. And perhaps there are some areas where it did feel like, yeah, you know what, we can put this on somebody else. Let somebody else handle this. But the more emergencies pile up, 
the more responsibility there is to offload. And we've done it so much for nearly 100 years that we've reached critical mass. And on top of that, we've gotten to a point where technological convenience has absolutely sapped ideas of personal responsibility. Uh, it's ruined the attraction to personal responsibility for a lot of people. And so we don't, we don't want that. We want, we want the pilot to steer the plane, uh, put it at cruising altitude, let me recline my seat, watch Paul Blart Mall Cop, and wake me up when we get there. We don't want to be involved. We don't want to be invested. It requires time. It requires a tremendous amount of patience to actively be engaged and deliberate over all the things that need to be done if you're the Congress. And same as if you're, if you're a citizen, same thing. If we really wanted to hold our representatives accountable, our senators accountable, the people in bureaucracies accountable, that requires a tremendous amount of time. It requires a tremendous amount of patience. It's not immediate. And in this day and age, we're so used to things being immediate that when they're not, we give up. That's it's going to take too long. I don't I don't want to deal with it. We'll do whatever it takes to get rid of the problem, to offload it. I don't want to be responsible for it anymore. Somebody else do it. Fine. And as long as it goes well, it was a good decision. It's only now when we've reached critical mass and we've had people in power ruining people's lives, livelihoods, destroying businesses for the past 3 years that we've started to realize maybe this wasn't such a good idea. And so we've started to actually wake up to the idea that the lack of accountability is a bad thing, that the experts don't really know what the fuck they're talking about a lot of times, or that they're at least human and fallible. And if that's the case, if they're, if they're capable of being as wrong as you and I, then maybe we shouldn't trust them with power that can't be withdrawn. Now, when you look at that, when you realize that's where we are, you can also make the case that culturally, we actually don't value accountability. There was a point in time where maybe we did and maybe we're starting to come around and starting to value it more again, but we're certainly at a point now where we may say on the surface that we value accountability, that that's a good thing, but it's just based off of the way that we engage in the world and we avoid demanding the best from our duly elected representatives, the way we avoid demanding that the bureaucrats in Washington actually work for us versus their departments themselves, their bosses. Because we don't do that, by virtue of our inaction, you can definitely make the case that we don't have or we don't share, we don't hold 
accountability as a value, as something that we prioritize, except when it comes to the private sector. Now we're going to get into fun. This is where accountability actually exists in the world. This is where we still have an abundance, perhaps an overabundance, a knee-jerk, uh, an overabundance to of accountability. And in the private sector, we are able to create instant accountability. We are able to have immediate responses and immediate results. And that's where you get cancel culture. We are so used to, in the private sector, being able to vote with our wallets, you know, boycott products. And now with social media, we can voice our outrage even more. And because the private sector is dependent upon uh, our, our wallets, our, our vote with our wallets, because the private sector depends on our wallets and because the private sector depends on us to finance them, to vote with our wallets for or against them, they are still accountable to us. And that's why you can, you know, get somebody canceled for tweets that they had 20 years ago. Or you can have, uh, you know, Taylor Swift lyrics canceled because someone felt like she was, uh, you know, being too ableist or whatever it may be. That is, no pun intended, swift accountability. And so it's still out there. And we still value it, I guess, to some degree, but we certainly do not value it as a public virtue. We certainly do not value patience we certainly do not value it in the public sector where it requires that tremendous amount of patience, tremendous amount of time and energy and thought. If we can't vote for it, if we can't have that instant accountability, um, then, again, we just throw up our hands. So why do we even want accountability? outside of the fact that it's absolutely destroyed millions of lives over the past three years. Let's say, let's say you agree with everything that's happened the past three years, and you love Fauci, and you love uh, the mandates and masks and all that stuff, and let's say you feel like, man, the government just got it right every step of the way. Why would you want accountability? Is, is it worth trying to reclaim it? And it's easy to say no. It really is. Because when you ask yourself if you want to have accountability from your representatives, from your government, the government that has lied to you, gotten you into wars uh, unjustly, uh, that again, has, it does not have the ability to care about you. I mean, you shouldn't want your government to care about you. You should want them to do just a good job and to do their duty. You shouldn't want them to care and be compassionate about you. But 
if you value accountability and you really want that from your government, that requires you to potentially ask questions about yourself and what your values are and where, when, what circumstances are you going to want to hold people accountable. It demands from you that you have a value system. And when I say earlier that it requires a tremendous amount of thought, that's what I mean. If you really value accountability, then you have to figure out what you want to hold people accountable for. Where are the lines that if crossed, people need to be held accountable? And it requires introspection. If you don't have values or you don't know what they are, maybe you have them, but you don't even know what they are, you got to figure that out. And I can tell you right now from personal experience for myself and being around other people that have gone through the same process, being honest and open with yourself about what you value and what you truly believe can be really scary. Because if you ask yourself what you really believe in, you may start to discover that you believe in things that you didn't think you did or don't really believe in the things that you thought you did. Um, and if, if the things you took for granted turn out to be false in any way, then what happens to your identity? It's a, it's a domino effect. Well, if I was wrong about, well, if I was wrong about this, well, if I was wrong about this part about myself and I thought I believed this, if I thought I believed in free speech, but really I want to shut people up when they say something I don't like and uh, violence is actually, or speech is actually violence, you know what, shit, I, I guess I don't believe in speech, free speech. And when you figure that out, when you start to ask those questions and maybe you start to get some answers that you don't like, then all of a sudden the person that you thought you were starts to kind of unravel. There's a domino effect. Well, if I was wrong about this, I thought I believed this, but I don't then what else might not I believe in? Or what else might be wrong? What else? I thought I believed in this, but maybe I don't. And I, I, I was pretty certain I was this person, but now that I've started to ask these questions, that's changed. And you can have your entire identity collapse upon itself simply by being honest with yourself, asking yourself questions, and figuring out what you truly believe. You can become an entirely different person, and that's a scary process because the person you thought you were may have never existed at all. And then you can, go, you can spiral down even further, and the life that you have led, you can assume was a complete waste of time because you spent so much of it assuming you were one person finding out you're not that person and then wondering who the hell you are. So that's, a, that's one reason it's, it's easy and it's attractive to avoid accountability at 
all costs and just trust the system. Take the blue pill, if you will. I know it's really popular to do the red pill, blue pill uh, thing, but but it's it's really easy to stay ignorant because if you start, if you take the red pill and you go down the rabbit hole, it can be really scary. So, So, now that we're on this amazing positive note about the lack of accountability and, you know, your, the fragility of your identity and, and all that stuff and, and Fauci ruining lives and uh, people creating laws without a, a, a care about you. Okay. Now that we're in such a positive place, where we found out that there are people making laws uh, without your consent. There are people who have, like Fauci, ruined millions of lives, and where we may question whether or not we want accountability because, my God, if, if we start to, to ask ourselves too many questions, our fragile identity might collapse and implode upon itself, and then what happens after that? Super positive place I got us to. Um, but now, now we get to get to the fun stuff. What's actually happening? Obviously, I'm sure you can think of a million places where there is a lack of accountability right here, right now, in this, in this time. I'm sure there's a ton of places where you can immediately go to and think of a, multi a multiplicity of examples or a multitude of examples where there is no accountability going on right now. And, you know, you could argue that it's uh, teachers, public teachers. I mean, by God, in, by God, in, in California alone, uh, just, a, just a bit of trivia for you. In California alone, do you know how much it costs to get a teacher fired? $2 million. And, you know, there's unaccountability there. There's unaccountability with the police. You know, you can, I, I don't, if you have one of those thin blue line stickers on your car, I have really bad news for you, especially if you have one of those come and take it stickers as well. Who do you think is going to come and take your guns? It's the police. They don't work for you. They work for the state. And you can say, well, that's, you know, it's one or two bad apples, but because of the lack of accountability, those bad apples get to sit in the bushel and they don't get fired. They get relocated. They get desk jobs. They still hold their jobs and they can spoil the bunch. And I've, I've known several police officers who have been surrounded by uh, just overt corruption and nothing happens to those people. Same with teachers. Cost $2 million dollars to fire a bad teacher, perhaps a teacher that's doing actual wrong, not just incompetent, it costs the state, you, the taxpayer, $2 million. 
Well, it's easier to just move that teacher to somewhere else where they're not going to cause a problem. Because it's, it's, it's way easier to, to keep them uh, in the system and not have to battle the public unions, which fight to keep those people in their positions in the first place. Not worth going to war with them. But the fun one that everybody is talking about right now, where you are seeing the – but the fun one right now, where you are seeing the media, the legacy media, actually try to hold people accountable, both sides accountable, is happening right now. It's happening with President Biden, with former President Trump, and it is absolutely amazing. So I am sure you have heard all about the raid at Mar-a-Lago, Trump having classified documents, and my God, that is so scandalous. And then it turns out Biden, as the vice president, did the exact same thing. And the vice president, unlike the president had the who has the ability to declassify documents, the vice president does not. And to make matters worse, Biden went out of his way to comment on Trump keeping classified documents in a safe. It was wildly irresponsible. It was so irresponsible. And yet, when it was discovered that he kept classified documents in a safe, oh no, wait, it was uh, cardboard boxes. In cardboard boxes in a locked garage. It was locked, so... Rest, uh, rest easy, my fellow Americans. He was, he was looking out. He was protecting those documents because it was in a locked garage. When it came to light that he was doing that, um, there was a, a, a really quick attempt by the left-wing media to uh, dismiss it and try and quash any parallels between the two. But it really quickly became impossible. And now you are having people in the legacy media, CNN, MSNBC, actually having to hold Joe Biden at least slightly accountable. They are asking questions. They recognize that they can't carry his water on this one. And they are forced to do their job in a way that most of the news media used to do their job uh, decades and decades ago, where it didn't matter what political party uh, someone belonged to, but it simply mattered what you did. And they're forced to do it now, and it's really, really fascinating. So that is a little bit of good news. It's sad that it took an issue like this to get us to a point where Networks that usually like to cover for the president and love to, you know, love to focus only on how evil and terrible and fascistic uh, Trump was. And, you know, Joe Biden is, uh, you know, just he's not Trump, so he's awesome and can do no wrong because he no orange man. But they can't do that. And 
I was having this debate today with somebody, and uh, he's super Republican, and and he kept focusing on, oh man, can you believe it? It's it, you know, it's it, the the documents he had that Biden had. They were they were all China and Ukraine, and it just implicates all the corruption. And I, you know what? Maybe that's true, but it doesn't really matter. My point to him was, I, I kept saying to him, imagine if Biden had never sent the FBI to Mar-a-Lago, if the FBI had never raided Trump and found those documents. And then it was discovered now that Biden 